everybody. It's not so giant women again. We are Daria and Ivy. Doing something a little different today. Uh, We've never done this before, dumping a bunch of shorts into one episode and counting it as an episode by itself, which makes sense because that's what the Crooniverse did. They, I guess, assigned all of these one production code, is it? I think it's called. So it's kind of like they are one episode and they'll be about the same length. But if it's okay with you, Daria, I just kind of wanted to watch one and then react to it rather than trying to watch them all and then react to them all. Does that sound good? That's good to me. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think that'll make more sense. And I guess I should also note to the listeners that the order of these things is it's disputed, but it doesn't really matter. So we're just going to watch them in the order that makes the most sense, in my opinion. And starting with the first one I put there is the whole group of the Classroom Gems ones and ending with the extended theme song skit. So I guess we'll just see how it shakes out. Okay. (laughs) Let's check out our first Not So Giant episode. Yeah. (laughs) Very. Super cute. Yeah. So we just watched What Are Gems? Classroom Gems. Yep. We have just a couple of minutes of little super deformed Pearl who has a blackboard thing in some kind of Stephen's in a school desk setting and she gives the 101 on gem being, I suppose, <laughs> that they themselves, the gems, are their gems. Pearl runs into the same problem I sometimes do that everything is called a gem and that their bodies are projections. And if the bodies are damaged hard enough, they'll poof back into their gems to devote all their energy to regeneration. And if the gem is cracked or shattered, the gem can get very weird and or cease to be, as Pearl puts it. And Stephen asks, what if a gem is half human? And she says, that's you. Write an essay about being yourself. Oh, what's an essay? Class dismissed. And all the while, there are equally super deformed versions of Amethyst and Garnet demonstrating on the blackboard what it's like to proof someone or hit them very hard, etc. <laughs> so, yeah, it took about as long to describe as it did to happen, really. I guess it, for viewers like us, it lays it out nice and clean how this aspect of gem biology works. I know it's something we chatted and speculated about a lot until this point, and it seems we were pretty much on the money with what they told us so far. So, really, this is just a summary of what we know all in one space. I can't remember if we were told that the Proofing back into the gem was for the purposes of directing all energy toward regeneration, though it makes, it makes sense. And also, since it's usually the projected body that's damaged, it makes sense that that's the bit that disappears too. Yeah. yeah so this was cute and funny and, yeah, tells us a bit to work with going forward. Yeah. So what do you think of those designs? <laughs> they're so cute. Oh, they're... have next. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I, they're adorable, especially the demonstrations on the blackboard by the yeah. the SD Garnet and Amethyst. They were cute. <laughs> it was interesting that the illustration when they were just gemstones shown on the classroom blackboard, that Garnets were a red one and a blue one. But then when she appeared, you see her kind of holding her palms out and they're both red because that's how it is. And they don't explain any of that to, you know anybody who would need this lesson. We don't really need this lesson, but it is interesting to hear like the terms that she's choosing, like the terminology, because sometimes that clarifies some things that Hmm. might not have been entirely clear, like you were talking about earlier, or like saying that if if a gem is shattered, they would cease to be. Yeah, so they've blatantly called that dying before. Hmm? 
That's just a bit of pearl poeticism for the classroom. That she called the gem body a projection, and she said it's like a hologram with mass. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <Nice> mass. <laughs> Thank you. That was adorable. <laughs> She's like, nice mass. Garnet goes, I know. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> There's an awful lot of casual violence in this. Just kind of, it's like, I'll murder Amethyst so everyone can learn about what happens when a gem gets hurt so badly that they don't have a body anymore. Here you go. <laughs> and then I'll just casually flip a gem around like it's a two-faced coin. Yes. Yes. Just like... If, like, if you didn't already watch the show and you saw this as an introduction or something, you would probably think Garnet is just like this murder machine because she's just like, okay, she punched her so hard that she died and then she chased her like she was going to murder her a second time. And her was just like, hee, this is so fun. Well, Garnet's just being pragmatic. The best way to demonstrate this is to do it. Yeah, I mean, kill Amethyst for an exercise. She doesn't mind. <laughs> and, you know, it's Amethyst. It's not like she probably won't have the similar thing happen to us sooner or later, trying to, I don't know, ride a unicycle on a train or something. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. Though it is interesting that they didn't show, I mean, considering that the last episode we saw before this was her transition to a new outfit, they could have used like the previous outfit and then this new outfit to show that they come back different, but mm. she didn't come back different in this one. Yeah, I was watching for that. And I guess it depends on when they made it maybe too. Yeah, I know. I mean, she has the new one, so they must have planned to incorporate that, but it's kind of strange that they didn't show that aspect, but it's all simplified, you know, just like their bodies in this episode. It was also interesting the way that what Moron, I guess, Pearl's choice of words was that she said the gems can't reform if they're bubbled or trapped in an object. So that was kind of a very concise sum up of what stops them from reforming. Neat. Yeah, I guess depending how you choose to approach the word also opens up that there are other methods besides bubbling that can trap them in gem state. Yeah, which I guess that's what we saw happen to Lapis. That's why she couldn't come back. Ah, she very true. Mirror. She was so, like uh, wired into it, for want of a better yeah. word. I'm trying to think what else we've seen. I know the gem that was in that lighthouse in the haunted house episode was similar, stuck in the wall of the house, and that's probably what happened to them. But I don't know if that desert glass from the lion episode, the first lion episode, I don't know if that one counts because I don't know if that's its body or not, the pillow that it was in. So, but it can't move independently. So, I don't know. Yeah. And it makes sense that for at least some substance, if it's just, if it's just buried in them, it might not be able to push it aside to make a new body. Yeah. I mean, that might change with what the substance is. I mean, it might, might be easy to regenerate in, say, water, but not concrete, just to pull a couple of examples out of the air made me think of something I've never thought of before. Like, why doesn't the earth that the gems are buried in stop them from growing a body the first time and bursting out of the earth in kindergarten? Well, like if they, I guess if they really are anything like actual gems, actual geology, they could be, while they're growing, they could be drawing nutrients from the ground. Sounds about right. We're still a little bit floaty on how much this, these uh, have actual rock-like properties and how much this is sort of just rock terminology for our benefit. Right. <laughs> Seems to be a little of both, doesn't it? <laughs> and it's funny in this one that Stephen didn't ask any follow-up questions, really. He's just like, oh, what if a gem is half human? The answer is you! Me! He's satisfied with that. That's just cute. I would have liked to read his essay on what it's like to be himself, though. Yeah, he'd get into that once the wind was behind him. Yeah, I think maybe he could invite Connie to Gem Classroom and she would help him learn what an essay is. 
I'm also remembering the time we wondered where gems get their energy from. And it was like, oh, we get our energy from our gems. It's like, that kind of just moves the question. Right. <laughs> right. Do you think these were too short to bother with stuff like probing questions or should I try to probe you every time? You can try. I think when I it's can a, always try. Yeah. This one does pretty much summarize stuff that hits, hits so far. So I think the probing yeah. question might be covering some familiar ground, but if you've got one, go for it. I thought of one when you said something about Garnet kind of throwing Amethyst's gem around. So my my potential probing question this time would be, you know, even though this was kind of for an exercise and stuff, you know that in real life she would never just like kill Amethyst to show you what happens. Like that wouldn't happen in a real episode. So like, what do you think the gems think of when they see like a raw gemstone? Do you think that they are creeped out by it because it's kind of like a body or do you think it's just like, eh, it's no big deal to them? Like a raw actual gemstone? No, I mean like when they see an inert gem that, you know, is in the process of regenerating or they come across somebody that just got poofed and they're sitting on the sand or something. Do you think that weirds them out when they see that, like that they find it creepy or do you think they're just like, it doesn't bother them? I think it very much depends on the gem. I like to think someone like our heroes might think, oh, this may be a gem who's been injured, then maybe we should check that they're okay or get it out of the path of travel or something whereas someone like jasper might tread on it <laughs> yeah just seemed very cavalier about tossing amethyst's mm. gem around i guess at most that's going to give emotion sickness <laughs> amethyst who throws herself off cliffs for fun <laughs> she'll just use it as an excuse to throw up <laughs> yeah i was gonna say I, that sounds fine to me i given amethyst's visceral carnal nature i would believe she actually likes motion sickness sometimes. <laughs> yeah. You know, I guess probably it, I'm trying to make illusions between th- that a gem would be like a human's body, but it really isn't. It would be more like a corpse or something if it was a broken one. I think maybe that would gross them out. Yeah. So. And maybe a gem that has no body would be more like they were sleeping. I don't know. Yeah. It seems they don't just, so far that we've seen, just naturally poof back in without sort of external stimulus we haven't seen any of the handful of gender we've seen so far sort of just go right then and just all by themselves it does seem sometimes the spoken description of their bodies as just kind of illusions or projections is occasionally at odds with how they actually behave about the bodies as if they Absolutely. they behave as if well they were their bodies yes I mean, because if you follow that, they're just projection things, then really Pearl getting stabbed way back when we first found out about this shouldn't have really bothered her at all. She should have just been able to look back into shape. So, Right. Like, why does that bother you if your body isn't real? Really does raise some interesting questions. I was recently having an argument with someone about whether gems have ears. And, you know, it's pretty established that the way that they're usually drawn suggests they don't have ears. But although there have been occasionally a couple images specifically of Amethyst where you can see her with ears, but Mm. not counting the one from last week where (laughs) she had that giant ear. But I mean, I think they were mistakes. But, you know, when the Wailing Stone was going off, both times the Wailing Stone went off, they put their hands up to the side of their head like they have ears. And back in Frybo, you have Pearl getting her eyes covered with ketchup and she can't see. It's not, you know, it's almost like she has real eyes that are just, that are sense organs that are subject to the same limitations that ours are. So it really makes me think like they act like they have bodies. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the corrupted gems too, the creatures certainly act as if the things that are their eyes. Definitely. So I guess, I don't know, it's just like, it's harder to tell how much of it is 
to relay feelings and reactions in a way that we'll understand as an audience versus like, are they actually hearing with ears and seeing with eyes? It's just kind of contradictory, I guess, but it may just be too confusing (laughs) to explain in our terms. So Pearl is just saying, you know, think of it like a hologram with mass. That's good enough for you humans. (laughs) If you really wanted a stretch, you could say, at least so far, that the crystal gems have picked up through centuries hanging out with humans, just the instinct of the side of my head is where I hear from, the front of my face is where I see from. But yeah, I also think it's just a matter of sometimes you just got to go with what's clear to the audience. Why do you write a story (laughs) so we can understand it? Yeah. And at that point, they probably didn't want to jump too far, like have someone shapeshift an extra set of eyes on their hand or something. (laughs) You know, if that ever happens, it'll be amethyst. (laughs) Well... We don't have any music, really, just background stuff that sounds almost like what plays in the Big Donut. There's not really anything. Hmm. It's music, really. Yeah, kind of like cutesy stuff. And no food, sadly. Hmm. Well, (laughs) Stephen doesn't eat in class. Pearl probably doesn't allow it. (laughs) Absolutely not. I have a few little factoids, and then we could jump into the next one. Oh, and I want to, I'm going to do a featured merch item for every one of these shorts because I have so much that we should do that. Yep. Are you ready for factoids? Let's go. Okay, well, this was done by one person. It was Hillary Florido drew this herself. And the description was, Stephen learns about gems from Pearl. Yeah, Short okay. and sweet. Yeah. And uh, I thought when I saw this was kind of like one of those typical Japanese-influenced little omake things, you know, like the extras that come with bonus stuff. Yeah. But it turns out that it's a more specific reference that I didn't get because I haven't seen the original. It's a, it's apparently a reference to something called Gunbuster where they had little science lessons. And so they had like a regular anime and then they had these chibi versions that would teach little science lessons in exactly this format. Somebody noticed that and was tweeting about it, tagging one of the writers and said like, why does this remind me of Gunbuster? And Matt Burnett was the one that replied and he says, well, if you're going to steal from Gunbuster. (laughs) So I guess he admitted it. (laughs) That's really all I have for factoids though. Yeah, Um, I haven't seen Gunbuster either, so I'll have to take their word for it. Yeah, I think it's really old. I think it's from like the 80s, an anime from the 80s, which, you know, there's much older anime, but it's not anything recent. So I think that you have seen my merch item before. It's my chibi cup with oh, the gems yes. on it. That's what it's from. Hey. There they are. I just love how huge Amethyst's eye is. I know it's the same <laughs> size as the others, but maybe it's because she's smaller and there's only the one because of her hair that looks... Yeah. There's Garnet, and there's Big-Headed Pearl. Explaining something. Oh, yeah. Chibi gems. I'm ready for the next classroom gems. Are you? (laughs) Yeah, I am. Well, let's find out how are gems made. Adorable. Yeah. It's fun. How are gems made? And it answers that very question. Amethyst's main presenter this time was Garnet presenting some cards that Amethyst has apparently drawn herself. We're all still SD mode, much like last week or last whenever, really. Amethyst explains that it's not when a mummy and daddy gem love each other very much. For, <laughs> although you do start to hear that and want to go about chicka wow wow. But no, <laughs> gems, rocks are made, not born. In this case, in the case of Amethyst, it's when the gems from space sent some machines to Earth that planted stuff in the earth and sucked all the good stuff out of the earth and from there created gems. 
gem people that is that popped out of the ground fully formed so they were never babies sadly for Stephen's imagination Pearl is rampantly apologizing for the damage that Gems did to the environment, but Garnet has no time for her environmental wokeness and just picks her up and carries her off. Stephen still wants to know about the gem babies and a dunce cap lands on his head. Me hand. Yep. <laughs> Pretty cute. Yep. And in some ways covers stuff we did talking about the previous shot. Yeah. Getting nutrients yeah, from the earth. Yeah. They're continuing to tell us, you know, stuff we basically know, but using like context that we may not quite have, like referencing shooting junk into the dirt. Yeah, and putting it all in one place for those who want it all together in a couple of minutes instead of over 50-something episodes. Yeah, like if we had watched this at the beginning, it would have been less fun to figure all that stuff out. (laughs) Very true. Yeah, so... It's kind of fun, like, we've got Amethyst teaching this lesson since she was made here. So that's cool. Yeah, hometown girl (laughs) makes good. Garnet (laughs) mostly just comments about the artistic license Amethyst has taken and also is very put off by the idea that she was ever a baby. Yeah. Which I also wonder if that was put in because someone wanted to put up their baby gem designs on the screen. Oh, yeah, there is a substantial subsection of the fandom that really enjoys the idea of gemlings. It sounds even cuter when you call them that. Yeah, I don't read fan fiction. You know, I'll come across occasional like links to it in the places I do go, and there'll usually be some kind of description. And what I've picked up from just that is that some of them, for some reason, even though this is not how gems are made, have decided that it would be really interesting if the gems laid eggs that were little geodes and baby gems pop out. (laughs) That is not canon in any way. No. (laughs) But speaking of canon, Amethyst says there is no such thing as a mommy gem or a daddy gem, but there is one mommy gem, Rose Quartz. Ah, yes, true. I guess she stopped existing as soon as she became a mommy. So that is still kind of true, but he's a mom. Yeah. I mean, at this point, I guess the gems are all kind of assisted reproduction if they need their big technology from space to make gems. (laughs) Gems came about somehow before they invented machines, surely. They might not want us to think about that yet. Big mystery of the gem race. But at this point, they're definitely colonizing using technology that was cute she yeah. said for the internet it's for the internet who cares these were eventually shown on tv but yeah i think that they were all released digitally first like a long time before they were ever on tv yeah <sighs> and well if anyone is going to draw cartoonish silver age space rockets it's going to be amethyst sure why not maybe she had some assistance with from steven who knows oh yeah he does love to put pen to paper that way <laughs> she would have just said, draw a spaceship, okay, and he would have not had any context until just now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, Garnet, bring the cards out now! <laughs> she was really, like, a little bit more, I don't know, I don't know the word for how Amethyst acted in this. She was, like, s- aggressively sillier than usual. <laughs> I guess it kind of goes with the aggressively silly design that she's dealing with. Uh, well, the power trip of being a teacher, it's all gone to a head. <laughs> yeah. The babies he imagined were really cute. The little three-eyed garnet. Mm. (laughs) So cute. They were even chibi-er. Yeah, they were very cute. Yeah. I guess this explains why Amethyst is the same size as she was when she came out of her hole. So they're exactly the same. Yeah, they come out fully formed. Yeah. 
Yep. <laughs> Which Emma says when she likes this, probably she'd say something like, is they get it right the first time. One of my favorite parts was Pearl's gem apologism. Yeah. It's coming in like, we deeply regret all of everything we've done. <laughs> and Garnet just picking her up like a suitcase and walking away. Mm-hmm. So cute. Very in character for everyone. <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose she literally is one of the colonizer people in this case, just on a grander scale than we're used to seeing in our world. Yeah, but she's sorry, so we have to forgive her, right? So yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I just thought of it. Oh, you're like just fracking your way through the earth to making more gems. <laughs> Something like that. What else? I can't think of anything else to say about it. It's a pretty simple thing. How can I probe you? So do you have any theories about when gems come out, how they would be as soon as they come out? Like, do you think even if they're physically formed that they have blank minds or do you think they come with instructions and language and stuff? I think they judging, and you've got to read between some very broad cartoonish lines for this, It sounds like they sort of have a set of basic abilities already coded in, Mm -hmm. which movement, stuff like that. I don't think they are born with like a full database of knowledge, but it seems they're sort of just going by the idea that they come out fully formed and the implication that they were never babies or gemlings. It sounds Mm -hmm. like that, yeah, they are born kind of knowing who and what they are and how to walk and talk Mm. and... I don't know. I do know if maybe the junk they shoot into the earth gives some kind of programming, especially if Dems are colonizing planets this way and would want workers and soldiers and things. Mm. They might have a set of knowledge that gets dropped in according to their role. And we've seen Gem mm. society is likely pretty stratified. So that would fit. Impossible to say for certain from this, but it does seem like they are sapient aware and capable when they first pop up that's a reasonably complete answer (laughs) yeah i mean it does seem that this would have been the ideal time for amethyst to add that they were never babies but they had to learn things but that never comes up yeah i wonder if she knew her name that's a bit like with the fusions the fusions seem to know who they are instantly as well yeah i guess with the exception of stevani they got named by amethyst yeah (laughs) And Stevani was part human to start with, so they're already a bit different. Yeah, you got three quarters human going on there. So nothing typical can be gleaned from that. Yeah, we don't have a song or anything. We just have more music with a few sound effects. (laughs) We don't have any food. Just a hungry couple of episodes here. (laughs) Stephen's desperate for recess to roll around. (laughs) Well, he's got to have to stay in, so... Anything else to say about this or should I talk about my factoids and my merchandise? That's fact and merch. So this is by the same person that did the last one. Hillary Florido did the boards for this too. What else? What else? Oh, okay. That's right. I have the description. It's Amethyst explains how gems are made. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I describe it. I don't think I have anything else for this one as far as factoids go, but here's my merchandise. It's very large. Let's see. Big one, listeners. Oh, a heavy one, apparently. Oh, large body pillow with the chibi gems on it. Wow. Oh, <laughs> I've had to back up to show the entirety of it. Yeah. And it's the same images that were on my mug, but pretty it's cool, though. Yeah. Oh, I like that. It's so fun. And it's almost as big as me. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Comes up to Ivy's chin, listeners. Yeah, but I'm not so giant. <laughs> 
Oh, so yeah, I think it's about four feet long. I don't know. But yeah, it's uh, if you ever want to hug any chibi gems. And that's what Beautiful. I have. And I'm done showing off. <laughs> Ready for the next one? Classroom gems number three. Yeah, according to this title here, Classroom Gems Fusion. Right. <laughs> Adorable. Yeah. As the title <laughs> implies, this time we're learning about fusion and not only because it's short number three in this, and she hasn't done one yet, but because of the subject matter, Garnet is teaching us and telling us all to listen up. She's a lot more, well, almost <laughs> aggressive compared to the previous two lessons. <laughs> yeah. Tells us what a f- fusion is. It's when two gems combine. As Pearl notes, the gems have to be in perfect sync physically, mentally, and emotionally. They form back and forth the various fusions of Garnet herself from Ruby and Sapphire, as well as Opal from Pearl and Amethyst. Pearl and Amethyst turn back into themselves when it's revealed that gems that have trouble collaborating can't maintain a fusion very long, but some of them, I Garnet, get on fine. We see some brief clips of older episodes showing there are many reasons to fuse, but the best reason for fusion, and they all combine together to Alexandrite, is for love. Class dismissed. That's cute as hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, Ruby and Sapphire sort of have to make them double super deformed because they're all, they're 90% there already in their standard designs. Right. They're so little bitty. And this, they're super tiny itty bitty. <laughs> so teeny and cute. But again, but- doesn't tell us anything radically new, summing up what we'd already seen so far. So it yeah. is very much intro to fusions. Probably nice to have it at this point in the series for those who might have missed earlier episodes. Yeah. And at this point, they seem to be in a training room or gym or almost looks a like a dance. dance studio. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. <laughs> With dance music too. Oops, I skipped to music. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, cute and fun. Yeah. Like the others. Yeah, and very much like the others, I feel like, you know, you could come away from this saying they didn't really like teach anything new, but the way that she phrased things might be a slightly different nuance from maybe how it had been shown, like Mm -hmm. saying that they combine the heights and strengths of the fusers or that fusions have extra body parts. And I guess like, you know, the only one we've seen so far that did not was Stevani. Again, um, the... Yeah. Something of an outlier. Right. The whole three quarters human thing makes a difference, I think. But of course, there's, you know, weirdos who have speculated about what hidden duplicated parts they might have. But my headcanon is that they just have all kinds of extra hair. (laughs) But yeah, I guess. Maybe they got like two hearts or four lungs or something. Oh, that would be cool. That would kind of explain also like their amazing dance abilities. So who knows? That would be cute if they had two hearts. That would be like poetic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that would work. Let's go with that. Yeah, let's just decide that. <laughs> well, Garda only appears to have an extra eye. She doesn't right. have, she's got only the four limbs in the usual configuration. That's right. Yeah. Whereas you have Opal who has extra arms, but only has two eyes. So we got Chibi Opal. That was cute. <laughs> It was really adorable. <laughs> I wish that was on my coffee cup, but it's not. <laughs> and s- summing up their working relationship in a, I'm great at collaborating, whatever. Yes. 
<laughs> it's just like, hey, I'm better than you at collaborating. <laughs> yeah, Garnet's little aside, but I get along fine. It's just really just, she's used to them bickering and she's just like, yeah, I'm just great over here. What else? I did really like the opening where she punched through the title card and yelled, hello. <laughs> yeah, it was almost like a less severe full metal jacket thing. It was, all right, listen up, you maggots. We're going to learn about fusions now. I'm going to yell at you about my favorite thing. <laughs> that was me trying to do, still doing Garnet, doing Ali Ermi, so I don't know where it ended up. Oh, my goodness. See, I won't know one of those references because I actually have not seen that movie. The movie, right? Yeah, I've only seen bits, but... Right, as, I've seen a couple bits too. Yeah, and the bit that I've seen the most is, of course, the drill sergeant scene. And, of mm. course, that guy went on to play that role many more times, essentially doing impressions of himself for the rest of his life. (laughs) Wow. What a life. Yeah. Let me see. Is there anything else about this that we learned or had new context for? I don't think there really is. Yeah. The closest is making it clear that some gems last longer than others because of their emotional stability. But again, that's not new. That's just putting into words something that's pretty plain from the episodes thus far. Yeah. The terms that Garnet listed out was that they have to be in sync physically, emotionally, and mentally. They don't mention anything about spiritual, but (laughs) I don't think they use words like that. (laughs) So yeah, makes sense why they dance to get physically in tune. (laughs) Yeah. That was cute. (laughs) And little Steven on the side with his towel around his neck, like asking about why do they fuse? Oh, I also thought it was sort of almost third wall breaking that Garnet pulls out these video clips from other episodes where she wasn't even there, you know, to show it off. So like we got to see what Opal, Alexandrite, Sugalites, Devani, that it on these video clips? I think so. <laughs> I, think so. I think that was it. But she wasn't there for like any of those. She was part of a couple of those fusions, but the others she wasn't. But she yeah. has the video. <laughs> These classroom shorts have been a bit fourth yeah. wall soft anyway, so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I'm just happy that we got to see a chibi, Opal, and Alexandrite as well. Yeah. Alexandrite is <laughs> seeing her as like a super deformed character is so funny. Yeah. And she's doing like heart hands with one pair of her hands. It's really cute. <laughs> Best reason is love. It must be fun turning these giant designs into, well, chibi chibis. I would have liked to see a chibi sugalite. <laughs> oh, that would have been so adorbs. Yeah, we didn't get into the less favorable parts of fusions like sugalite malachite. Right. We did not. But we can assume that some of the reasons for the fusions in those cases were probably not Garnet approved. <laughs> even though she was part of one of them. <laughs> yeah, well, she doesn't want to scare anyone off too early with, there are many reasons to fuse, including trapping an enemy at the bottom of the ocean. Or showing off your strength to Stephen <laughs> to knock down a communication tower that's ruining television. Let me see what I can, I have an idea to, let's see, for a probing question, I'm just trying to refine how to ask it. So, okay, talking about like reasons for fusion, now we have established that Gems are made by someone for a purpose, probably. What, you know, purpose do you think fusion would have in like somebody's making them and giving them this ability? What do you think it was intended to be used for? Probably not love. (laughs) 
Now, we've seen that there is certainly love a good war. So uh-huh. the ability oh. to combine your soldiers into bigger, stronger soldiers, some of the time I think it's going to be pretty obvious. Like it does reduce your raw numbers, but sometimes you might just need to slam a giant foot down onto a battlefield or yep. punch through some fortifications. It could be that the gems who have less military roles when they combine, they might also combine things like scientific capacity and skill or engineering oh. or things like that. That makes sense. So it might be, a, oh, we can't figure out how to make this new gem warp drive on our own, so I'm going to combine with Agate and Chrysopress and see what we can come up with. <laughs> That'd be an interesting philosophy on how to get something done if, if it both required a lot of strength to do and specialized knowledge. You just get a specialized fusion to do it. Yeah, and in real life, we have an expression when you've got to work on something as a team to say you put your minds together, they're doing it more literally. That makes sense. Just kind of thinking about in in Jailbreak when Jasper called Garnet a shameless display, like, did she feel like that was a threat or something? Like, if Garnet was clearly a fusion that is, you know, standing there being like, come at me or something like that, maybe that's how she took it, if that is the reason that you would see fusions where she's from. Yeah, and if it's a functional thing and Garnet's just hanging around being Garnet, then right. then that's not right. Right, that she wouldn't understand why would you do that, why are you fused again, which she asked her in the next episode. Well, A, I want to be, I'm going to beat your ass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and sing. <laughs> which again, no real music except for the little disco that we had a little yeah. workout music implying that steven's been doing like calisthenic swatty watches or something yeah. we have seen him do like dances with the gems when he was getting fusion training and it didn't work with any of them but it worked with connie yeah well maybe this was a session where they were trying to work out that and they thought hey maybe a better way to get into the vibe of this might be if we refresh steven's sure. memory on how fusions work because it's also quite possible he's forgotten already <laughs> never know with steven yeah and again, we don't have food. None of these classrooms have food. No lunch hour. <laughs> Pearl's read all the that's how you get ants meme. I guess I have factoids and merch and then we can continue. Yep. This one was not bordered by Hillary Florido. This was bordered by Katie Mitroff. Uh, yeah, that one I noticed was that this mm-hmm. one had the, this one actually had the credit at the start. So. Yeah, it it was done by Katie and Hillary at this point usually work as a pair when they board together. So this is kind of like they split them up. Interesting. They might have worked as a pair sort of broadly and then then part of that work is a pair because these are clearly a set of three. Oh, sure. Yeah. And they must have used existing designs that were developed together. Yeah. So I'd say that they work together. This is a guess. Of course, I have no idea what goes on at the Queeniverse. They yeah. work together, but because it's just three little bits, part of working together was just one handles two and what, what another handles the third. This was described as the gems teach Stephen all they know about fusion. I hope that's not all they know. But <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that that's the all they know part is iffy, but the rest, yeah, okay, go with it. One thing, I don't know if this counts as really a factoid, but by the third one, I finally noticed that the little title cards that said classroom gems were changed in color depending on who was teaching. Oh. So, but I didn't notice it until the third one. <laughs> I didn't notice until you said, so this one I missed. There we go. Well, I mean, I have no excuse because I've seen them so many damn times. The other kind of factoidy thing is that they opal 
and Alexandrite, they both used like their original outfits. Like Pearl and Amethyst have reformed since that design of Opal was used and she looks different now. And Alexandrite obviously should also look different, even though that one was Pearl's current form, but not Amethyst. So they just are using the old models when they draw the chibis. So that's just like a little weird nitpicky thing that some fans have noticed. Yeah, I guess same as with Amethyst not changing in the first one. Right. They're just sort of going with the visuals they have. Yep. Yeah. I just have some merch for us. Thank goodness this one isn't as big as the last one, but it's several pieces. So, okay. I decided today to show you my kind of super deformed looking plushies that are not designed exactly to look like these guys, but they are on necklace and look really weird. (laughs) So Garnet doesn't even have a nose. She's got a mouth Um, open this time, which is not common for her. It almost looks like a weird mustache. Oh, now it does, yeah. And Steven with a lumpy head. These are definitely kind of like the most awkward looking plushies. So I decided to show them for this episode. A, because Amethyst having her new outfit, this was something I couldn't show you before because it was a spoiler, but also because they look weird in this episode and they look weird here. Bonus, also there is a lion, which he's always cute, Uh, no matter what. Lion. Looks very much like the bigger plush, which I've shown you before. He's a cutie pie. This is just a set of five. Yeah, Pearl seems to have done okay with her nose out of this one this time. Yeah. That's always, we've noticed, that's always the gamble when you turn Pearl into a 3D object, how her nose is going to cope. Yes. Garnet, I don't know why they picked that expression for her. She just looks really dismayed. She has her mouth in this downturn, like... I just thought it was wide open. I thought that, is that her tongue? Yeah, that's her tongue. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't look downturn. Like she's hollering. Yeah, it just looks unusual for her to have her mouth so open. (laughs) Yeah, she wouldn't normally be hollering, but she does a couple of times in this, like in the, on the chibi cup and stuff, her mouth is open because it's like she's being like, hello, this is Garnet. So maybe that's kind of, that's the main reason that I was thinking these look like those designs and I want to use them for this episode. <laughs> yeah, I think the cup where it's showing her teeth instead of her tongue works a bit better. Yeah, you're right. Definitely. Yeah. I guess that opens up the... Why do gems have teeth? But then we're into why do gems have ears, eyes, etc. that we're into before. So, Right. Why don't they just have like a voice box that projects their voice rather than a tongue and teeth to express sound the way that we do? <laughs> so who knows? Okay. That's the classroom gems. All right. Uh, ready for action for unboxing. We are ready to go into number four. And what are we going to unbox? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Let's find out. <laughs> okay, we've left the classroom, but Stephen is giving us an unboxing video. He's unboxing and receiving in the mail with Jamie's thespian <laughs> help the new hot dog duffel bag from Wacky Sacks. He bought you the cheeseburger backpack. Yeah. As he tries to describe its benefits, we see that the others wanted to come on a mission, but he can't because he's making a video, so okay. Later they get back from the mission and possibly brought something with them because we hear noises of battle and Amethyst being thrown across the screen and goo and tentacles being shot into frame. Lion also tries to eat the box that the duffel bag comes in and the others tell Stephen that they need him to stop filming and help and he asks us to subscribe and logs off. 
Very typical for an unboxing video, don't you think? You know. Goo, tentacles. Yeah, occasional battle noises, just audio issues. <laughs> yeah, I like that, that there's possibly someone fighting for their life and he's like, sorry, audio issues. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, like Amethyst is flying behind him. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I like the idea that he has a YouTube channel, at least in his world, it's tube. He has his own channel and he's just trying to unbox things and, you know, do normal kind of YouTube kind of things. And people just start subscribing to him because he's got these weird aliens and strange monsters and stuff just always happening in the background. And he never acknowledges that it's weird. That'd be really funny. Lion <laughs> resumes his house cat-like activities by just trying to chow down on the box. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, according to Amethyst, he was helping. <laughs> well, he's going to get more views if he's got a cat in his videos, so, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's the rule. <laughs> so he apparently has that same star effect for his own videos, because that was on there a couple of times. Yeah, and old-fashioned static in keeping with the technology and timing is a bit mixed up and sometimes defaults to what looks cool to the viewer. Yeah, that's right. Definitely felt very like true to form for a lot of those amateur unboxing videos too. It was complete with like the camera spins and stuff that you'd see blurred footage of the background when he moved the camera. It was cute. <laughs> yeah, and him blatantly holding it on up to himself. Yeah, <laughs> yep, for selfie mode. Well, I think his review is very cute and I like his description of what he thinks Greg's opinion on hot dogs was. That was cute. Yeah, whereas he's more of a, there are no bad hot dogs, only bad chefs. <laughs> yeah. And Jamie's cameo was cute. <laughs> it's great that they're carrying that along to yeah. make sure that we remember he's an aspiring actor guy. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. uh, what it's doing for him that he's, he's playing the role of a male man, obviously <laughs> a big stretch. <laughs> well, I mean, it's real immersion there. Yeah. Though he didn't go for the obvious, Jamie's an awful actor joke. He did seem like he was actually delivering the mail, which he was, but there was no, oh, Stephen, what a surprise. Here is your package. Right. Just a little dramatic special delivery. <laughs> which he kind of does anyway. Yeah, that's just who he is. That's our little Jamie. So what else? Well, you seem to really enjoy the metric bratwursts joke. <laughs> yeah. Well, but yeah, by this point in our podcast, people know occasionally we run aground of trying to speak at each other's measurements or looking blankly as the other one describes things in meters or yards or whatever. So that had an additional layer for us. Yep. <laughs> Measuring it in hot dog lengths and then metric bratwursts. I'm not sure if I know how long a hot dog normally is, though. So I don't know how much that helps either of us. Yeah, no, I'd, hot dogs aren't like foot-long subs. It'd be easy for that because, well, foot-longs are about a foot. Yeah. I remember reading that someone actually did, like, calculations. I don't know what they based them on, but they were trying to figure out if Stephen's math was accurate. And I'm just thinking, nerd, like, concluded that Stephen did not have consistent measurements because the discrepancy between the lengths of hot dogs and the lengths of bratwursts did not work out to that being the same. I'm like, wow. <laughs> I've seen longer and shorter hot dogs. Same. I just don't know how you can call him on that. So I don't know. I'm sure that it was, you know, came from a good place, I guess. But I don't know. I mean, is there a standard for how long a hot dog is? 
Oh, there probably is written way down deep in some state or municipal legislature or something. <laughs> well, as far as Stephen is concerned, he probably just measures it in whatever hot dogs he eats. And the test, you know, Europeans use metrics, so he has a European sausage to compare it to. Yeah, <laughs> adorable. I like it. And it had good goo resistance. We got that feature listed. Yep, his forever optimism. That was cute. <laughs> oh, Stephen. Yeah, I would subscribe to him. It works better that we never saw exactly what the others were fighting. Yes. I wasn't sure if he would make an observation to this effect, but many people felt that they were fighting the slinker. Yeah, I I noticed the tentacles. They weren't mm-hmm. quite the same, but who knows what the slinker can do. Yeah, the goo and the noises were new. If that was the slinker, then they weren't. it wasn't making those noises or spraying goo in the previous episode, so... You know, I think it's pretty well-established fanon speculation that was the slinker, but it's also never said anywhere. So I guess if you want to consider that to be closure, that they probably finally got it. <laughs> well, that's what I thought when I was watching and noticed the resemblance. I thought, oh, this is kind uh-huh. of like the slinker. Maybe it's got some other abilities it's drawing on now and they really just have to camp it down and bubble it or ensnare it or get rid of it in some way. Yeah. I guess it would be a good explanation for how come it got into the house because usually the monsters they're fighting don't get into the house, but it was in their temple. So well, they just really had to easy. slink out the door. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody chasing it out. I don't know. Maybe they left the door open. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, that's all speculation. <laughs> we don't know. We didn't get to see the end of the video. <laughs> Just Pearl screaming at him to stop filming and help. Yeah, I think his subscribers would be very excited to see a big pink lion. Not just a cat, but big pink lion. They'd probably be like, bring the lion back. <laughs> Minor character development note that Pearl is calling on Stephen to help. So Stephen's assistance is yeah. now so- something one seeks rather than sort of an indulgence to him. Yeah, I love that. It's great. His, his services are now considered actually useful. Yeah, let's see. Well, I've kind of thought of something to ask as a probing question, but I'm also having a weird sense of deja vu. So have I asked you something like this before? I don't know. I should plan better. So like I was just thinking, okay, if Steven had a tube account of unboxing stuff like novelty bags and I don't know, toys or whatever, what do you think the the others in the house might have tube tubes about? Oh, the other, what might the other, well, pearls would be household organizations. That's easy. Oh, yeah, you're right. Oh, my God. She would be like the gem Marie Kondo. <laughs> uh, Amethyst would do her version of those such and such a host tries channel of eating various uh, things. Oh, yes, absolutely. Food challenges. Garnet might take some time to warm up to it. I can easily see her first couple of videos being... Is it running yet? Mm-hmm. Hello, I'm Garnet. <laughs> and then nothing okay, from there. Over. <laughs> yeah. Considering like the children are dead, it's like how she deals with people wanting to hear from her. Yeah. Maybe she could break stuff on camera. Yeah. And P- Peridot would have one of those complaining ones just about how unfair the world is to her. That's what her log already is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Absolutely. <laughs> Bonus pair. Well, I guess kind of expanding that, I think Greg would probably just have his music. Yeah, I'll probably interspersed with like 
tips for maintaining your guitar and stuff like uh, that. I think so. Yep. Ooh, what about Connie? Book reviews. Mm. Book reviews. She would have a booktube channel. <laughs> That's what it would be. Yep. Now that you said that, I can't imagine anything else. <laughs> yeah. Now the question is, like, would they each have their own channel or would they have a group channel and people were just always waiting for whoever their favorite was? <laughs> yeah, they, they might have their own, but also an aggregation channel. Oh, like a Crystal Gems group. But Peridot would not be, want to be one of them. And Greg would be like, I'm not a gem, but I'll be on your channel, son. <laughs> yep. Mm. So we did not have music except for, if you count, the little announcer noise that he made when he opened his bag, when he opened the <laughs> box, da, 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 something like that. So just no, no mood music or anything, which I think, I feel like it kind of enhanced it feeling like a real unboxing video. It would mm. either have to be that or one of those free background music video things. So I thought that was cool. Yeah, and... Yeah, I, th- I think Stephen would be very much, at this point, sort of first-level effects. Yeah. His editing is consists of him stopping and starting the camera. So. Right, yeah, and sometimes being interrupted. Yeah, he, and he did say it was his first unboxing video, though we don't know if it was his first video overall. So he wants people to subscribe. Yeah, he's kind of talking as if people know him, but then he always does that. It's true. He does. We also didn't have food. I could have eaten a veggie dog in, in honor of this, but I didn't. <laughs> yeah, so we got close to the food with the various ham- bread and filling carriers, but... <laughs> it's true. I guess Lion came closest by eating the box. That is correct. So let's see. What do I have left? Just factoids and merch, right? Yep. This was Hillary and Katie working together. Oh, they did this one. Shared it. So thus and, far, uh, they're team shorts, I think. They're what? Thus far, they're team shorts. It's all been ah, one yes. or both of them. Yes. Yeah, I guess since this was all one production code and they just probably assigned it to them to split up however they wanted, I'm not really sure how that worked out, especially since these were released in such a weird way. Like they were kind of staggered. And we watched all of the Classroom Gems ones in a row, but they were not released in a row. There was other stuff in between. So it was kind of messy. <laughs> but anyway, I guess they were just filling up time between hiatuses. Yeah, I wondered if it fit into the various lulls in original broadcast. Yeah, kind of. I was actively waiting for new episodes when these started to hit. So, but I don't recall exactly how they hit. So Hillary and Katie did this one and let's see, I have to look for my description that one's long. Steven records an unboxing video of his new hot dog duffel bag and continues to continues doing so even when the Crystal Gems get into a fight with a monster just off camera. That's a little much. <laughs> yeah. I like the surprise there being a monster. This one had a couple of alternate titles. I originally had it saved on my computer as Wacky Sacks Hot Dog Duffel Bag. And I guess when they showed it in another country, I'm blanking on which country, somewhere it was aired as novelty backpack, which it's not a backpack. So I'm not sure why they picked that. Yeah. The only other like factoidy thing I can think of is just something that's not even news. Garnet didn't talk. (laughs) Yeah. That's not new by now. No, but she talked in all of the other ones so far. So I guess it was noteworthy to me. I don't know, but it's, you don't even notice it when she doesn't talk because she's Garnet. You want to take a guess at what my merch is? Is it some kind of comestible based container so they make it 
Of course they do. Oh, that looks like a pretty good one too. It's nice. It's not as big as Steven's. It is a hot dog duffel bag. It looks a lot like the one that we saw in the show, but it is smaller and it does not have three pockets, as Steven said. On the top, it has ketchup and mustard. I'm going to Steven's comment section to rant about that right now. (laughs) Yeah, but it's just one whole compartment inside. It's just, it's pretty narrow. I'm not sure what you would put in this, but it's definitely, it's like, I don't know. It would have very good goo resistance, actually. <laughs> it's not soft fabric at all. It's that's just... Some kind of vinyl? Yeah, that's what it looks like to me. So it does have a strap and a handle like set. So I can wear this and I have it very short so that it would actually fit me. <laughs> so this is my stylish accessory for today. What do you think? <laughs> I like it. It's- I mean, I don't know if it's just a video, but it looks actually fairly sturdy. So it looks like if you were so inclined, you could actually use it as a bag for stuff. Yeah, definitely. It's larger than a purse, like it, but it's long and narrow because it's a hot dog. So it's hard to think like, what would you, what would you put in here that you wouldn't, that you want bigger than a purse, but smaller than, I don't know, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have any internal or external pockets. So that makes it just kind of cavernous, you know? Maybe an overnight bag. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't know what all you'd fit in there. I want a bigger bag to go overnight, but at the same time, I do not travel light. I don't know about you, but I bring all kinds of crap with me when I go anywhere. <laughs> but yeah, that's my hot dog duffel bag, everyone. And I have never done a review of it. <laughs> no, I actually have, but not on video. <laughs> that's my story. Are we are we ready to move on to the next short now? Yeah, short what? <laughs> Lion loves to fit in a box. So... You're going to like this one. Okay, David. Oh, I know who you're doing. That's good stuff. Okay, Lion likes to fit in a box. And (laughs) the video is mostly Lion trying to put himself into various boxes, some of which he fits into, some of which he very much doesn't, such as walking along with tissue boxes on his feet or trying to step into what looks like a bottle-carrying box and just shattering it. Amethyst notices this and tries to get a fridge box for him, but he doesn't quite fit and jams her against the wall. Eventually, Stephen finds the dumpster outside Big Donut and empties all the rubbish out of it and encourages Lion to jump in and Lion fits in there nicely and looks quite comfortable being in the giant garbage bin. (laughs) Lars emerges from Big Donut with more rubbish to throw out and just shrieks again. And this poor donut man. This is very much doing Maru. Yeah, absolutely. The Japanese cat, for those who haven't seen, who has become a YouTube and internet star because he is so fixated of fitting in boxes even above and beyond the habits of regular cats. And they even imitate the font at the start, which is used the usual captions on Maru videos. And also the slightly stilted grammar, which in Maru's case is probably because Maru and his human are Japanese and translating into English. The sort of grammar that's not wrong per se, but isn't how people usually speak. Right. So it's very much that. And the first few clips, at least, I've definitely actually seen Maru do. Right. But Mm. to the best of my knowledge, they didn't have to get a snack shop dumpster for him. No. I heard that one of the places they shared this, somebody on the Karunaverse shared this, actually tagged it, Maru. 
Ah, there we go. So, I mean, it was 100% like shamelessly a reference. Yeah, well, I love Maru, so I have no problem with that. Ah, I thought you might like this one. I mean, yeah. you're a cat lady, so. <laughs> yeah. And my mad Japanese auntie got me the Maru books and DVDs one Christmas. Oh, yay. So you can definitely attest that this is surely made by people who love cats and are familiar with cats. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. We've hit before on how Lion is based on an actual cat. And this is where he is very much most showing it. The tissue boxes on his feet are just classic. I love when he shoves his feet into four tissue boxes and then just collapses on the floor. <laughs> so cute. It's so cat, but giant. He's just cute. That partitioned box, I thought it was a bottle box too, but the main place that I've seen that is is wine boxes. And I'm thinking, Stephen, what are you having delivered? But it's probably uh, milk or thing. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it with a few things, but I don't know. Stephen's had a hard life. I don't know what he's doing to cope. Yeah, <laughs> legit. <laughs> Lion's probably going to stink when he gets out of that dumpster. Yeah, this doesn't seem to bother him at the moment. But some cats are like that and some very much aren't. I liked also that the fake camera work was unsteady, that you can see the camera moving slightly on all of the scenes, added that realism to it. Yeah, and that it definitely seems like setups for a lion to try each box. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he's not just happening to find these boxes. They were set there for him so that he would do cuteness. Yeah, well, Stephen may have been inspired by Lion interfering in his last video. He made next one all about his enormous cat. Yeah, he didn't say whether he was uploading this to his tube, but if he did, it probably got a lot of views. And yeah, I liked when Amethyst helped with the fridge box. That was funny. <laughs> and her just sort of face when she got slammed against the wall. Yeah. They didn't have her make a noise or anything, though, because I guess they would have had to pay her to do that. So, well, I think also, have- it's also like the Mardu videos here never hear his human housemate talk, even when bits of her in frame. Yeah, it's very cute. Well, what else can we say about it? I mean, it was what it was. Yeah. uh, (laughs) I would think the main factoid would be, it's a Maru video and spotted that right away. I can tell you what the factoids are if you want. Should I go? Yeah. So Kate Mitroff did this, so she must be the cat lady. Lion unsuccessfully attempts to get into various boxes. (laughs) That's almost exactly what you said. (laughs) Yeah. And they reused the audio from Lars screaming... Again? Like they reused that from Gem Glow. Ah! When Amethyst whipped the same dumpster in half. (laughs) So that dumpster, uh, well, I guess it's probably not the same dumpster, but it's the same Lars reaction. Yeah. Besides the fact that it is a a, uh, reference to something else that is very well known that we have discussed, it is also, I think, the short that has the most, it's been released under the most like random different titles. I originally saw this released as Just Lion Things. I think I saw it on a Facebook video or something. And it's also been released as Lion Loves to Fit in a Box, which was this. And also, what was it? It was one more title, and now I'm blanking on it. Just Lion Things, Lion Loves to Fit in a Box, and Lion in a Box, Lion in a Box. I knew it was some kind of pun. But yeah, uh, this was also released in like weird pieces. Like I saw a shorter version of it before I saw this one. And when this one came out, I was like, I've seen this. And then I'm like, oh, no, I haven't. Because the whole dumpster ending was not in it. And the thing where he looks through the tube, that one was added later, I guess. Or maybe the one that was released that was shorter was chopped up or something. But it ended right after he kind of dived into the boxes in the house. Amethyst wasn't in it, you know. I'm like, oh, okay. So there's a longer version. Weird. Maybe they thought of more bits afterwards. 
It could be. I'm not really sure like how they decided to do this because they did like a six or seven second preview and then they had like a 15 second one and then they had the full one, which isn't much longer than that. It's, I don't even know how long it is. What does it say on your screen? Let me see. 118. Ah, shorty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was the long version was apparently first aired on Swedish TV, which I could swear I've seen a version of this where someone says the Swedish title, like Lion Loves to Fit in a Box, but they said it in Swedish. So there was voiceover. I could swear I saw that once, but that's not the version I have. So I might have been doing the rounds when it'd been on Swedish TV, but nowhere else, I guess. Yeah, that must have been because I know that I saw it as a Facebook video and it was probably just shared from some page that was shared from some page that was shared from some page. I have no idea. Anyway, I know some Transformers episodes went out in non-English markets first. And so the copies circulating on YouTube and Daily Motions or whatever, they were in English, but they all for ages, everyone's familiar copies had subtitles in Arabic, Chinese, depending which show you're oh, okay. watching at the bottom. No, and, and voiceovers over the parts that were just on-screen texts. They do right. that. Right. It, I guess it just seems really peculiar when the source material is from the United States. So finding it in a different language first is always weird to us. <laughs> we're not as used to it as some other places. <laughs> Oh, yeah, well, in I think in those cases, they'd like sell the entire season to, well, before it went out, not unusual. Right. And, and while the US release was subject to Cartoon Network strangeness, other countries just would go one a week or even just marathon a lot on the first day they could. Yeah, there will be some coming up that they aired on French TV before they aired here and there were like full episodes and stuff and people lost their minds. I think episode 20, which is Coach Steven, I think it aired in Canada before it aired in the United States, which is the one with Sugalite, you know? And that was a big deal anyway. US fans used to make a bigger deal about it with the Transformers ones, but I think when it just kept happening, people just went, I guess this is a thing that happened, especially at once it was Cartoon Network who was the main local distributor. By that point, their distribution and release of particular programs, well, especially programs that weren't their big thing, was getting quite <laughs> notorious. And I do remember a lot of posts sort of couldn't they have just shown a few more episodes of Cyberverse instead of yet more repeats of Teen Titans Go is always the one that everyone zooms in on saying they just play this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know if that's accurate, but back when I had the local pay TV, I knew there were certain shows they just would fill their schedules with. So it oh, would yeah. not surprise me. Oh, yeah. That's definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. This is a hard one to figure out something to probing question you on. I want to make it about cats. Okay, so lion is a cat. He acts like a cat, but he is a ginormous pink lion. So who do you think in the cast of the show would be most likely to adopt a regular cat? Steve would almost be a gimme because he just likes everything and everyone he sees. So <laughs> some cat came into range of him while he was in that mood, then it could be added <laughs> to the household pretty quick. And in some ways, that's exactly what happened with lion. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I think if Pearl were human, I can see her being a cat lady. I think over in a reality where Pearl is still like Pearl, but is a regular person, she still has, she, rather, she does have like 17 cats. Maybe. Yeah. Ghana is too much like a cat herself. <laughs> she kind of is. Very aloof and, I don't know. And content to sometimes just sit still for long periods of time and apparently enjoy it. So mm-hmm. I don't know, she'd be, maybe she'd be very compatible for cat or maybe they'd be too much like each other. 
I'm going to need to test this out and sit near her and see if she purrs. <laughs> Amethyst might, but she'd get some garbage-eating stray that she found somewhere. Probably find it lost in her hair after two days. <laughs> Definitely in her room. <laughs> yeah. Just find out one day that she had an entire like group of cats living in there. Yeah, you would either have kittens or invite its other not quite feral stray friends and establish like a cat enclave at some corner of Amethyst's massive pocket dimension. Oh yeah, and when she came in to feed them, she'd just be walking around as the purple puma. Yeah, and she wouldn't quite grasp the idea of cat food, so she'd give them in equal amounts some cat food, some hot dogs, some (laughs) packing peanuts. Oh boy. And they just kind of have to figure out for themselves which bits they can and can't eat. They probably wouldn't complain too much either. Because they're cats. Yeah, cats are supposed to have a narrow range of things they can actually eat, but that's very much a broad rule because certain individual cats can just chow down on any old thing that's supposed to be very bad for them without (laughs) thought. I see. (laughs) That's really funny. (laughs) Yeah, the onions are supposed to be terribly bad for them, but I once had a cheeseburger covered in onions and the cat I was living with at the time, my housemate's cat, just chowed down the whole thing in one go and had no effects whatsoever. Wow, super cat. Yeah. He wasn't supposed to, of course. He was just naughty, but... Yeah. <laughs> Find this out in an experiment. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, apparently like anything from the chili family is supposed to be potentially near fatal for them, but some of them... Oh. some of, oh. But some individual cats just go, oh, a chili, Trump, yeah, I'm fine. Oof. They're braver than me. Best not to experiment on that with your cat. Yeah. People have found this out have usually found it out by accident and only later found out, oh, you mean when my cat ate my dinner that time, they could have been rushed to the vet, but... Yeah. Some cats just draw the genetic lottery as far as what they can eat. Sounds that way. I don't know much about cats' eating habits. I've just heard that the main thing that I've heard a lot of cat owners say over and over again is that they tend to complain when their food dish is only partially empty. They just act like you've never fed them in their whole life. Apparently, <laughs> there is actual reason behind that sometimes. Sometimes it's a cat being weird. Let's not yeah. say that's not a thing. But apparently if it's a bowl-shaped one, they don't like it when their whiskers hit the sides. Right. And so they won't eat the food they have to do that to eat. And it kind of pans out Olive because she used to leave a lot more food behind before I switched her from bowls to plates. So there may be something in that. Yeah. Or she could just be one of those kids who demands the white plate and won't eat unless it's in the right bowl. But they don't move their food. They don't problem solve it. They just whine for more. (laughs) Yeah, well, in most house cats cases, they know they're going to get some sooner or later. Yep. (laughs) But they'll work really hard for other food. (laughs) So weird. Cats are so funny. I think this was in a psychology class I took where some lady who was a psychologist decided to reward her cat every time it did something particularly weird. And so this cat would always be doing these bizarre things to try to get treats. And they just got progressively weirder. (laughs) I've read that cats react to positive, not negative reinforcement too. Right. So when your cat does something bad, you don't punish it for doing something bad. You reward it for stopping. Yeah. But it does sound like that was made up by the cats. (laughs) They're really in charge. They are good timekeepers, though. They do know when they're supposed to be fed or treated or whatever. That is something I've heard. Yeah. And if you're in a habit of forgetting certain medications, what you can do is actually give your cat a treat at, a, at the time you're supposed to take your pill or potion or whatever. 
at the same time. And then if you start to forget to take it, the cat will remember that they're supposed to be treated at that time. And they'll certainly not let you forget. And that you go, is ingenious. Yeah, and it's it's actually pretty consistent. Olive definitely understands her meal times in relation to the human clock. And she knows that if I'm home in the middle of the day, that's when she's likely to get some treats. That's really cute. They're like living alarm clocks. That's cool. Well, I guess speaking of food, there was technically some food in this one. Oh, yeah. But there is a reason that I didn't do it, which I will talk about in the next one. Oh, okay. Suspense. Yeah, you'll see though. Do I, did I do, I didn't do any. Um, oh, we, no, we didn't do much. Stuff yet. No. What was I going to show you? It has to be lion really. Oh, it was. Yeah. I thought you got, just show me the box some of the merchandise came in. No, it's a lion related journal. And oh. It has lions laying around being liony. In roses. Mm. Yeah. This is obviously not typical like lion design, mm. but it's from the cover of one of the variant comics. Ah. Uh, and it is officially sold by Cartoon Network. It's blank inside, just a journal with lions. And I thought this playful adorableness would be perfect for this one. It is perfect, yeah. And it's got yeah. that rose aspect for those who want to dive a little deeper. I didn't like write down specifically, you know, any of this information about this. But if I recall correctly, I think it was on issue six of the ongoing series. And the artist is Sarah Talman. And the cover is just like this. It doesn't even have the logo of the Steven Universe comics on it. Oh. It's just really cool. There's other things that they've used this art on. Apparently that's how the license works, is that they can put it on stuff. So it's not officially drawn art by one of the Crewniverse people, but it's by an official comic artist and sold through the Cartoon Network. So it counts as official merch. Oh, yeah, I'd <laughs> say so. Yeah, that would have been properly licensed and everything. So, yeah. Yeah. Cute lion. <laughs> really adorable. Yeah. And that is that. I think we're about ready to go into the last short, aren't we? Yep. Short number six, we are the Crystal Gems. Let's do it. I like that. That was fun. It was fun. You've mentioned that one coming up, so I've been kind of waiting for it. And yeah, did. And it paid off. Yay. All right, this one, I guess to describe it, we start off at some point early in Stephen's life. He's kind of toddler-sized-ish. It's <laughs> hard to tell with Stephen's character design. Note that he's still already wearing the star t-shirts, except now they're too big for him. And he's hanging out in the back of Greg's van where Greg comes along and says, oh, building a house is hard work and asks him how he's going with his new ukulele. So, yep, the crystal gems pop along, unsurprisingly, in their previous outfits because this is back when Stephen was a tiny little thing. Greg prompts Stephen to sing a song and Stephen on his ukulele sings the song from the pilot, basically. Yeah. (laughs) But that leads into a longer version which is not directly being sung by toddler van steven it's hard to recap music videos but it really is we see time pass as the treehouse is sort of goes from a frame to semi-complete to complete we see clips of steven moving in pearl doing loads of laundry amethyst eating things <laughs> greg reading to steven and tucking him in and we get We Are the Crystal Gems, which verses from all four of them, which is basically their personal mission statements in a line or two each. The middle eight has this lovely montage of bits of old episodes and silhouettes of the gang running along, a bit like the title sequence 
But when we catch up with them at the end of that, everyone looks like they do now. And it ends, if I guess, an updated version of the title sequence is the final chorus slash verse. It's still the, we are the crystal gems, except now the sequences of the van in town and on the beach are more populated by characters we've met since. And Connie has her, I guess by now it's her sword. And once again, ends with them hanging out on the beach, except now Lion and Connie are there with them and they've once again look up at the fact that the world believes in Ghana, Amethyst, Pearl and Stephen. Yeah. So, yeah, that was fun. Gave us a little bit of backstory. There was yeah. a side mentions of Stephen's looking forward to coming to you guys, meaning the Crystal Gems. So maybe Stephen lived either with Greg or possibly elsewhere, but we'll take a guess with his dad at this point. Presumably there's been some kind of being a gem, he needs to be at least partly raised by gems talk by this point. But yeah. this is really the first time we've jumped into this point in the past. So yeah. we've sort of got to draw from context. Pearl still seems a little confused at what Greg's doing, but I guess even now that still happens. So you can draw what yeah. you want from that. Amethyst is offered a water bottle while they're building the house and eats it. <laughs> yeah, Pearl is like so perplexed as to why she'd be offered water and just hands it to Amethyst and she just devours it. Yeah. And apparently they are literally building the house themselves. So yes. I would have thought even with three quarters of your team having magic gem powers, that would take some doing. Uh-huh. We're not sure how long it took, but it did seem like he wasn't toddlery anymore when he walked across the threshold. So maybe they were implying that it did take a while, but yeah, when you have yeah. amateurs amateur contractors that have never done it before doesn't matter if you've got superpowers yeah and i'm prepared to believe greg has a bit of at least some degree of engineering slash carpentry skills but there's a long way between what i expect him to have and building a house yeah considering you know what we've seen with his go-kart and his gym and stuff he, he'll take a hammer and not really plan <laughs> also the house in the modern day is completely intact and has electricity and running water <laughs> yeah sure does it's on the grid it's everything so i don't know maybe part of the gems in beach city backstory is after a couple of town saving episodes the mayor dewey or whoever else granted them a favor of doing some of that fiddly stuff i could also imagine pearl doing a lot of research and then yelling at the others until they did it right oh yeah pearl oh for many with a little hard hat adorable I would. There's, they aren't canon, but the there's a comic that tried to explain the construction of the house and that they got Sugalite to help, kept destroying things and Pearl was always yelling at her and they had a big disagreement, and but eventually got it done. So, but that's, obviously we can't take that as canon. It's just one of the side stories that was proposed, I guess. And, you know, we haven't seen that any of Gem Powers would amount to, you know, super masonry or anything like that. No, haven't met anybody like that. Mm. In fact, the house seems to be largely made of wood, so you can't even say, ah, they've got some kind of gemstone affinity going. <laughs> True. It looked pretty standard as far as, like, the plans go. It looked like they did it right and, you know, everything. Yep, so. Yep, good job, yeah. guys. Yeah. <laughs> They're just that good. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's true that we don't know really how old Steven was either. I mean, because he really looked teeny tiny. He looked like an itty bitty baby, but he was playing the ukulele and singing pretty competently. And he was missing a tooth too. I was wondering if that meant something like that he was at tooth losing age. Well, I thought he was at tooth losing age now. So <laughs> who knows? 
Yeah, it's really hard to tell with Steven. Yeah, he could have just knocked it out in some toddler rampage or something. That's not an unusual thing, I can tell you. No, definitely not. Plus, he had a bandage on his face, so you never know if that could have been part of the injury. Yeah, true. It did make it look like he's cut himself shaving, though. (laughs) Just his maturation process is all backwards. I have heard of kids who see their parents shaving and try to imitate it and... True. Being a child with a blade, it goes about as well as you think sometimes. Yeah. And I mean, even though Greg is bearded, I guess he, you still have to do some maintenance. So I think Greg's one of those guys who can shave right down to the skin at 8am and already has a shadow by 8.30. Yeah. Yeah. He's a hair guy. <laughs> oh, I know. Stephen could have got injured because when they were doing their trying to care for baby Stephen thing, Greg did a bit of a Look, we tossed the baby up and down just a few centimeters and he likes it. And Garner oh, no. went, I will now toss the baby and... I will yeah. hurl him into the sun. <laughs> yeah, so he got off lightly. Yeah. I do, you know, in all seriousness, I do wonder what happened to trigger this, to say we've got to build a place for him to live with you and be part, partially raised by you because he needs gem guidance. Like what incident kicked that off, you know? Because it's, like you said, not explained at all what had them decide to change from him apparently living in his father's van to living in a house they built for him with the gems and not with Greg. Yeah, and also in a house. He doesn't just shack up with them in the the cave thing they were already in. Yeah, inside of the temple. Like, I know that they've said it was dangerous, but, you know, they could make a little holographic area that was safe, right? Maybe? I don't know. I guess... Insofar as they're still a bit wobbly in understanding the child-rearing thing, they do figure that he needs some earthly as well as gem influences in his life. Yes. And Greg could have built himself like a little father-in-law shack, but he didn't. Yeah, so I don't know if that was just they didn't think of it or, I mean, depending what happens basically in the time we haven't seen, it could still be awkward for them to actually live together. And one of the looks between them in this could be interpreted as kind of awkward. Yeah. Just after he reads Stephen the story, they just kind of look at each other, but you could interpret that a few ways, so. Yeah, I'm not really quite sure what they were going for there either. It's almost like, okay, you can leave now. He'll be okay with us, but we don't want you here kind of feeling. Like, they weren't smiling. Nobody was smiling. Weird. Yeah, I don't know if, like, baby Stephen's... Jem started to like arc up or something and Greg was going, oh, well, if this creates like a supernova or something, I don't have the resources to handle that. So Right. Yeah, I could see that. And I could also see him just feeling like they were the last connection that he has to him being able to understand half of his heritage. I know that he would be the kind of dad that would want him to have both. So Yeah. And as far as his human heritage, he lives on earth amongst humans. So he's not terribly deprived on that and of course he is still mixing with his dad i guess as far as living in like a daddy shack because greg lives in his van if they want to have him nearby he can just park outside it's true my theory though is that greg just likes living in his van it seems like he just really likes that van (laughs) oh yeah his car wash seems to be doing well enough i don't think he has to live in his van i think he chooses to and his van seems to be bigger on the inside so he's not Mm -hmm. too hard (laughs) Seems like this time, like the views that you get of the inside of it, there was nothing in it. Yeah, it seems to get bigger when 
people are inside with the doors closed. Yeah. Like when they were driving through the snow or when he was telling Stephen the story of the How I Met Your Mother. Yep. Definitely seemed like there was a bunch of junk in there at those times. And other there have been plenty of other times where you see stuff, but in this one, it seemed like it didn't have much at all. Maybe he had just been to the used store <laughs> and unloaded it all. Oh, that fits. He would have been using the van to transport parts for the house. So he had to clear it out. Probably. That's got to be. Because he still had up like a couple of pictures on the wall and stuff. And you could see a, a bar that he seems to hang his clothes on in other scenes. So they're usually really good about making sure the environment matches stuff. So normally they wouldn't just kind of leave it blank when they could crowd it with stuff, which means personality. You know, they're usually so good. But yeah, his fan is definitely subject to cartoon physics. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Could we get Lion in there? Lion would go in there, getting him out again if he decides he wants to sleep there. That's going to be the problem. Oh, my God. (laughs) Well, it's at least cleaner than a dumpster. So there was an interesting detail with the gems. You had mentioned that they had their old outfits. Amethyst actually had an older one. She had a long sleeve shirt instead of like a short sleeve shirt. So that implies that she's poofed sometime between when that scene happened and when the house started. And uh, so it must have been yet another one of her mishaps uh, because the long sleeve sweater was subtly different. I guess they figured there's no way we can lock Amethyst into not having had some kind of misadventure in 10 years or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, she fell off the house or she kept jumping off the house for fun and one of them was fatal. (laughs) Well, if she gets anywhere near a nail gun. No, I don't want to see that. (laughs) But it seems like that would be more dangerous for the people around her. Yeah. Well, someone would say, be careful, I'm not sure if that old nail gun works. Oh, I'll just check. (laughs) Yeah. Just a minute later, she's back, so no baby. Yeah, so it's possible house construction-related proofings for Amethyst might have got as numerous as in a few episodes ago. Like, oh, <laughs> we're going to ask Amethyst to help us move these girders up the stairs, but we have to wait because she found the angle grinder. And <laughs> I'm kind of liking this headcanon. <laughs> Something must have caused it. So You'd be like, do you see the safety gear sign and go, I don't need safety gear, I'm invulnerable, crunch. <laughs> so much for invulnerable, says Pearl. Oh, dead on. <laughs> I think she's the easiest to imitate for me. <laughs> Edie Magno Hall, she is a very talented actress. I got to see her sing one time. She came to a city near my city and I went to go actually see her perform. Cool. Apparently she was in something I'd seen, but it was when she was not big yet. So she was like huh. additional voices number four. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. You probably would have had to be told who she was, I imagine, by that point. Oh, okay. Neat. And sort of got the potted version of the main four's personalities in their little verses. Ah, yeah. I definitely want to talk about those. Garnet fights for a metaphor-laden right to be free and exist as herself. That's right. And if you can't see the show doing queer metaphors by now, I do not know how to help you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she may as well have been just waving a rainbow flag in that one. 100%. And Pearl was the next one. And she fights for rose quartz and everything that she believed in. Yeah, so kind of related in that she's fighting for the one she's like super gay for. Yes. But even with the not remotely subtext aside, her loyalty to her and her cause is well established by this point. So if she fights, that's why she's going to fight. That's... Yes. Yeah, that's her kind of 
defining characteristic at this point for why she chooses to be on this side of the war. And Amethyst was fighting for this she was made. Yeah, she fights, I guess in a way she's patriotic. She fights for mm. her homeland. Stephen is the complicated one. It's something we haven't quite hit hard on in recent episodes as much, but the he's expected to grow into being Rose's successor, if not Rose herself. Yeah. It's definitely been a theme that pops up. And it's very hypocrite. Yeah. Even when it's not directly echoing his mother, the you have huge potential that you've got to meet and grow into has definitely come up. Mm-hmm. And so in some ways she's saying, I'm fighting to make people not disappointed in me, which is yeah. a little sad. Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of people who interpreted this song as being uplifting and really just very inspiring. But when you listen to Stephen's line in there, you just go, oh, that's what he thinks he needs to fight for is so that he can be what everyone wants him to be. Yeah, that's the bit that lays it on, that it sounds like it's an external thing, not something he's driven himself to meet his mother's legacy. Yeah, I think that when you're a kid under that kind of pressure, you're not sure how much of it you intrinsically want and how much of it is just, it's synonymous with what you've inherited. So that's yeah. heavy. Yeah, one day Stephen's going to learn about more of his emotions. He's going to crash hard because he sounds yeah he sounds positive and uplifting about it. But the yes, the words you say it's yeah it's like I'm fighting hard to avoid the failure, which is written into my possibilities. Right. If I don't live up to some very big shoes, literally mm. for his mom's case. Except for the fact that she's apparently barefoot. Yeah, true. Maybe it's because but her shoes would be too yeah, because too hard to get huge shoes. Exactly. She'd be like size twenty or something. Probably she's eight feet tall. And this time we are on the same measuring scale, so size twenty US is size twenty Australia. There you go. <laughs> so just going off of what you said about each of their motivations, I guess this is technically kind of fast forwarding to the factoid section, but one of the really funny reactions in the fandom was people kind of rewriting that scene with, you know, the images of the iconic image of each character doing their mission statement, but they've replaced Garnet with, I will fight so I can be gay. <laughs> Girl, I fight because I am also gay. And then Amethyst says, I live here. (laughs) That was very popular in the fandom way back when. (laughs) It's good. (laughs) That's funny. I like that. Yeah, I had to tell you that because, I mean, you practically said it with regard to Pearl. (laughs) Because she's super gay for that. It was really funny. Definitely shows me that if you had been around in the fandom during that time, you would have been either creating or contributing to some of these conversations. <laughs> oh, well, speaking of which, this premiered at San Diego Comic Con in 2015, and no one had seen it. They just put it on the big screen and let people react to it because it's really fun to watch people react to it. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I imagine we can hear the reactions. Yeah. Also, I actually like the semi-silhouetted sequence of them getting their weapons out for We Will Protect Your Earth. Yeah. That was really, really cool. Looking at the backgrounds, I, you've got Garnet and Pearl in kind of abstract things for their mission statement lines. Amethyst right. is in an actual real place. She is actually... <laughs> She's in a wrestling ring. <laughs> yeah, which, though that feature of her often being the more down-to-earth figuratively and literally one. And the odds are against us. We're not going to do it alone. There's 
four beings in the background of whom recognize yeah. three. And the fourth appears to have their back to us and slowly turn. And I think they... Oh, my God, that head turn. <laughs> I would say they did this very deliberately to tease us that, yes, there is another big bad, possibly quite big. Well, literally, going by the background scale. Yeah. But someone's a coming. Jasper, well, pretty much looks like Jasper does, per- yeah. as does Peridot. Lapis looks kind of wounded. Yeah, her arm is being gripped by Jasper. And this fits with the general. She first popped up as an antagonist, but we really developed a poor Lapis thing since. Yeah, complicated character. I also just love that line in itself. That is definitely an encouraging and uplifting part of the song. Which line? The one about not going to do it alone? Or Yeah, the odds are against us. It won't be easy, but we're not going to do it alone. Yeah. Some people thought that the villains were singing that. But that wouldn't really make sense. It's just the crystal gem singing it. Yeah, and the, <laughs> the voices don't change or anything. No, but it's kind of complicated harmony. So some people thought they heard Peridot specifically singing. She was not. <laughs> and her mouth wasn't moving, so. <laughs> and then it kind of goes into the, yeah, title sequence Mark Two, which I don't yeah. know if it does become title sequence Mark Two, but it certainly, it, it is a reenactment of the title sequence, basically. Right, it looks like an updated version of the theme song. Someone said, yeah, redo the title sequence and title theme based on what we know now after a season and a bit. Plus all of them have new outfits now, so they can finally do it. Yeah. <laughs> They're just waiting for Amethyst to die so they can remake the theme song. Yeah, Pearl's not stuck in her tutu in the title sequence and has to go change <laughs> for the main program. Yeah, and they don't have their names hovering over. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's kind of cute. Yeah, like they're going a bit. People get it by now. Yeah. And they've got them kind of sitting down around Steven rather than all being separate. That's cool. I like it. I wasn't quite sure if, because when you were watching it, I'm not seeing the same video, but you looked like you were laughing a little bit. And I wondered if it was at this when Pearl was putting laundry on the clothesline. I was like, I have questions about your clothesline, Pearl. Were you laughing at the same thing I was? Because she's got these shirts like threaded through the clothesline rather than hanging them on the clothesline. Yeah. I have questions, Pearl. But that I also was, even though we know it's a thing, giggling at the look loads and loads of the same shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Plus they have a dryer up there. So why I think I've gone into that before. Like you have a dryer, but you also have a clothesline. I don't know. That's often been the case for me. So mm-hmm. that's a thing. In fact, until recently, I no, in fact, I technically have a dryer, but it doesn't work. So Right. I know that some people will dry certain things in a dryer and other things on a clothesline, but I never thought like those kinds of shirts would be delicate. So I thought they'd more be drier material. It could be a, a rare sop to electricity usage. So they mm-hmm. don't seem too bothered about it in most other things. That's why people usually don't use their dryers here, at least if they've got the choice, whether or not something will go in a dryer. It's more that they're not very energy efficient if you've got the time to just leave something to dry by itself. Yeah. My sister said that in Japan, they almost, people generally don't have dryers. So well, watch not dryers. Yeah. After mine packed it in, that was like four years ago and I haven't really missed it. Yeah. Yeah. But they've got both. <laughs> so what's the deal? And I, there's also a sleeveless variation of the star t-shirt. I saw that, which is funny because in Coach Steven, I think it was, Steven was wearing a sleeveless shirt, but it didn't have a star in it. So that's weird. Mm. They got them on the cheap. The stars washed off in the years since. 
something like that. Yeah. Let's see. So let me think what else I want to talk about in this relatively short but very important piece of media. I thought it was funny in the live version that I just played that people were screaming over Ruby and Sapphire so loud you could barely hear what Garnet said. <laughs> yeah, they loved that. Yeah. That and the villain shot were the two reactions, I think. Big reactions. Just showing us that much of being number four is, I think, very good at the art of the tease rather than the spoil. You have thoughts on who it is? They definitely seem another gem just going by the ch- chunky head shape. <laughs> uh-huh. And kind of relating to Peridot there, who's got sort of this head hair hat rock thing going <laughs> geometric head hair yeah reminded me of that so someone in the gem hierarchy i know mm-hmm. that jasper wanted to chase further up the chain whether they actually hit the great diamond authority or whether there's someone in the middle or whether they're being pictured with the other three has anything to do with how they actually fit together and maybe they're some other element some other gem person that is outside the structure and that's assuming it is a gem which as i said is really just going for my they've got the same weird head thing as peridot going on right and they're grouped together and there's it's a very sort of anime villain shot almost like oh definitely but the thing that those anime villain shots is often they just put all the villains together for such shots whether they have anything to do with each other or not yeah and yeah we know how much anime these guys watch Yeah. (laughs) yeah But yeah, that was a good intimidating villain shot, especially just with that very slow head turn. It was really just, everybody went insane. Yeah, and from the back, which says, I'm not here yet, but I'm coming. Yeah, it's got a kind of like feeling like I'm slowly taking notice of you. Which speaks to the someone higher up the chain idea, whether the Great Diamond Authority is a she, he, it, them, or they, or something else. It does sound like a kind of collective entity but whether that just means a group of people or something weirder again like the i can't remember the name a name of it i listened to a story where the villains supreme leaders were all sort of bound together to make this hive mindy thing so yeah so whether the great diamond authority is just a person with a fancy name or whether they're a bunch of diamond people that sit around a big table or it's something we haven't quite fathomed yet but yeah whoever the big one is there that also had this kind of means business look to it. Like Peridot was first intimidating by her mere presence, but we later found that in and of herself, she's not much of a force to be reckoned with. It's more what she represents. And Jasper is more physically intimidating, but it's kind of only physically intimidating. She's a brawler and what you see is what you get. Yeah, we don't know what... She doesn't seem to have anything behind well we know that she works for the gems but most of her immediate threat comes from being a brawler yeah physical presence strength and ability to fight where uh, that one looked more i'm gonna look at you and think about this and i could have stuff up my sleeve beyond whinging and brawling as the other two do well whinging brawling and being sad if you want to complete the quartet yeah it's definitely sort of almost a blood run cold moment when someone's looking at you like that just that shiny eyeball one eye on them it's yeah and it's interesting that they chose to put this in like a short like that and not in the show itself for the first time actually i should make my probing question about that what kind of like 
entrance does a villain that's built up like this need for it to be satisfying, do you think? Good question, because it is possible to build up too much. Yeah. I think we've all seen things where they've built up so much that their final (laughs) appearance could not possibly fit it. Yeah, nothing will match that hype. So granted, at this point, we're sort of out of cycle. I wouldn't say we're out of sequence because everything seems to fit here. This isn't in an episode. This isn't the final shot of the episode being someone reporting to this figure or them watching goings on from afar or them thinking about it and saying, you you know not what you mess with, crystal gems and assorted allies. <laughs> yeah, you don't know what she wants. Mm. So I, I would say, I would actually say you want to, even though it'd be very tempting for a show creator and writer, not to build them up for too long before they actually do something. Otherwise, they can only be a disappointment. And I think you can go in stages like, if this is indeed a member, a chief gem, whatever, then we have built well because we know through the existence of junior officers, if you will, that there must be someone above them. So Right. Keep talking about, I'm going to report you and I'm going to tell somebody about you. Yeah. And Jasper, yeah, Jasper being all, no, we've got to go report to some color diamond. I'm blanking on the color. Was it yellow, blue, green? But Your to, first choice was right. <laughs> ah, there we go. I could have just gone through the spectrum there. But I, I knew it was a simple primary color. But yeah, yeah which... Is a nice passing mention that such a being exists, mm-hmm. that there are that these aren't just two sort of loser villains in their spaceship, there is someone beyond them. Yeah. But if you'd spent the entire first season just going, Oh, I hope it's not X. X is really powerful. We could not fight X because they are so powerful and mean and evil, then you'd start to strain a bit under trying to deliver. Yeah. Particularly because even as storytelling has evolved, we're still in a, the heroes are likely to come out mostly, if not entirely victorious. Mm -hmm. So you run the risk of, if you build up a villain too much, you also run the risk of, oh, well, for all that talk, they were defeated easily. Right. Uh, And uh, then it's not satisfying. Yeah. We like the Borg in Star Trek. First time we have a proper meeting with them, we, we get them by the skin of our teeth and you kind of get the impression, oh, that's, that was close. Wow. But that also means every time they come back, you're not going to convince us that it was by the skin of your teeth every time. And you're going, are the Borgs that bad? Because every time they show up, you just beat them back in an episode and we're done. I'm so terrified of the Borg. Oh, maybe they still have their impact. The thing is, I haven't seen as much Star Trek as most people who like it. Like I consider myself to be a fan of it, but there's a lot of it I haven't seen. Mm-hmm. And the first time I ever saw them was in a Voyager episode. So <laughs> yeah, I'm, I just like, I would have nightmares about Borg, but I think it's mostly because of the body horror aspect where, you know, they have these implants in their bodies and it really grosses me out. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. And they actually got pretty explicit for that for the time and time slot so there was some proper nightmare fuel going on there yeah it's not great for me and my particular sensitivities when science fiction starts straying into horror but i definitely just you know as soon as somebody says the borg i picture that 
cube-shaped ship floating toward toward somebody and saying resistance is futile. And I like, I believe them and I'm terrified, but I've still never, you know, I've seen enough bad things happen with the Borg that I feel like they're still terrifying. But yeah, I mean, I've also never seen them really win. <laughs> so yeah. anyway, yeah, that's a good point. But especially in cartoons, you usually have this like mwahaha villain, you know, who's threatening you for such a long time. And then they send underlings that can't do the job. And by the time the good guys are ready to face the big bad, they have had all these opportunities to like learn more and train and get stronger and all this stuff. So I don't know. I sometimes wonder why these big bads don't just like come and step on the heroes, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, a lot of cartoons have that. Uh, I'm so absolutely evil and powerful and could wipe out civilizations with the thought. And I'm going to send you know, a robot gerbil after the heroes. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, you know, Peridot. Robot, gerbil, or Peridot, you know, they're about the same. Yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah. Well, I can then, also see, I mean, why you wouldn't want to waste your time doing something that somebody way beneath you should be able to do, but it still always seems to be the same. They get more and more angry that it's not being carried out, but they still won't just come you know, roll their eyes and say, want a job done right. You have to do it yourself and come do it. Yeah. Well, in this case, we also saw, as much as we see this perspective on Steven Universe, the escalation in the villain's eyes as well. Because when Peridot was first sent there, it seemed that it probably could have just been a fairly straightforward job that someone of her lack of rank could take care of. And yeah. she just happened to stumble across the crystal gems. Yeah, she wasn't there to fight them. Yeah, and... That that escalated to bringing a ship and Jasper, but Jasper doesn't want to take it upstairs until she comes with the, whoa, why do you look like that? What's this Rose Quartz thing going on? And yeah, exactly. So that's another new, thi- another new thing and why Jasper tries to stand in the way of Peridot's plan such as it is because there's been a, it's, well, she wants to take it to a new level, literally. Yeah. The hierarchy. It's no longer just about, oh, these people are annoying you, they're breaking your things, and they're messing with your attempt to check on the cluster. And Yellow Diamond, or whoever Jasper would report to, not straight to Yellow, then it's not going to be pleased if Jasper said, oh yeah, I saw a Rose Quartz on Earth, and I just punched her and came home. <laughs> yeah, I gave her a black eye. She's really sorry now. <laughs> That'll show her. <laughs> You can go destroy your planet now if you want to, but, you know, I did what I was told. And who knows, the whole idea of this gems reproducing with humans and making lives on Earth might be also a fairly serious matter to bring to them, mm-hmm. given that we've, granted, assumed, but not really been contradicted that Diamond Authority, gem government, however it works, has very particular ideas on how gem society is supposed to work. Seems that way, considering the kind of stuff that Jasper yelled at them in judgment. Yeah, that was very nice of you, Jasper. Much as you're a bad guy, it was very nice of you to throw a bunch of cultural stuff out there so I could work with it. (laughs) Yeah, just come in here with like whatever your bigotry is so that we know what kind of place you come from. So yeah, that villain shot was awesome. I really liked that. Yeah, and as I said, I love the, if there was a part of the song that is uplifting and inspiring, it's that line. They'll do it together and then they move kind of, well, I guess also there was that little interlude. I don't know really what to call that part of the song where Pearl was singing about if you could only know Hmm. what we really are when we arrived on Earth from 
out beyond your star. We were amazed to find your beauty and your worth and we will protect your kind and we will protect your earth. So I just recited the whole thing. Great. Well, but I figured uh, worth was going to rhyme with earth. Yeah. But she got that whole verse like to herself, or I guess it's kind of like a weird little interlude. It's not really a verse, I guess. Yeah. It's not quite the usual bridge and uh, yeah, not quite the usual verse chorus verse structure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. She kind of got to take care of the the key change for us there though. (laughs) Yeah. I wish I understood. I wish I recognized key changes. They've, people have explained it to me. I think it's just not a thing that penetrates when I actually observe them. Yeah. Or if I do, I haven't quite matched up my knowledge, my on paper knowledge of what a key change is with what I'm experiencing when I hear one. Right. But then it's like, despite being a huge film nerd to this day, I can't recognize the Wilhelm scream, even though that is. Oh, yeah. I know what that is. Yeah. I know what it is. And (laughs) I know it's been in loads of things. And it's been played to me in isolation many times, just Mm -hmm. for some reason won't click as a me going, oh, that was the Wilhelm screen, even after like 30 years of film buffery. Right. I have a kind of easier understanding, I guess, of why people don't really readily recognize key changes just because it's just, it's a music nerd thing. And even a lot of people who would be able to hear the difference, like they wouldn't automatically just say, oh, this song has a key change or something like that. But it's, it's especially obvious in this one because I've played the pilot version of that song on ukulele before and also the final version of it that fits in the theme song and one is an F and one is in G. So when you're going to join them together, you have to find a way to change the key or else it won't sound right. I have a friend who also is a supreme music nerd, but it was an ongoing thing as to technical aspects of music, mostly what she was into versus do I hear it and like it, which was my point of view. And it sort of came to a head once when they changed the theme song on something we were watching. I can't remember what it was. And she'd noticed other musical things like key changes and the sort of stuff you'd notice looking at sheet music and things like that, but didn't notice that this changed version, while all that was the same, it was played on entirely different instruments. Wow. <laughs> because, and of course, I'm not looking nearly so deep where I could easily go, well, before it was electric guitar and now it's brass. Right because, yeah, I couldn't actually see any deeper. So really I interesting. Yeah, so I'm not saying either of us are right, but this can what happens when people of different levels of knowledge look at things in different ways. Yeah, well, I guess speaking of instruments, we could kind of talk about some more musical aspects of this. The new version of it has a lot more drums, I've noticed. Yeah, which is often a way to sort of show the we're, move, we're moving along and building up is to redo a familiar piece of music with more drums. yeah. Um, it makes it almost this frantic, almost drum drum beat. <laughs> you know, like, wow, we're really moving through this. Yeah, well, to go back to Star Trek, well, when Deep Space Nine changed its music and it was kind of a, this is the season where stuff's going to start happening. So it was <laughs> the most immediately noticeable thing was adding the drums. Or I don't know if it was drums or some kind of synthetic version of drums, even money okay. in 1995. But Yeah, true. Well, it used to be a rule. If you're doing science fiction, you had to do synthesized instead of real. So I don't know if they were playing with that. Yeah, I mean, it seems, (laughs) seems, uh, yeah, that sounds legit. (laughs) So yeah, you had mentioned that we now have Connie in the theme song and Greg and stuff. And they're like barbecuing in the opening, but Greg sings a little line. He just says, believe in. And that's actually the only time you hear that is in this. He doesn't sing that line anywhere else. So that's pretty cool. 
<laughs> maybe if they use maybe if they use it for the actual title sequence, they'd have to pay him each time. <laughs> that might be true. They'd have to say he's a featured voice. Yeah, whereas he's already speaking in the clip, so you know he's already on board. Yeah, I bet that's it. That and he hates singing the actor. So there was a couple other neat things about the opening that were sort of almost references to the original, like that they're warping somewhere. And in the original, he's just kind of in the warp stream and he's flipping upside down because someone else is doing the warp. But in this one, it looks like he's controlling the warp and he gets his head rubbed and he seems to be enjoying it. And they're all rubbing his hair. It's really cute. Yeah, in the original, he's kind of doing the mom. Yes, exactly. And in this one, he's just like, everybody says I'm doing a good job. It's so cute. And he's like showing off his weapon with the others. Like they all do a little weapon brandish and he's in it. I love Mm. that. Very cute. Do I have anything else music-y to say? I mean, this whole thing was music. Yeah, I was going to say, we we finally got a music section that's 90% of the discussion because it's a song. Yeah. So I guess we already kind of covered it. But uh, yeah, obviously you would have already known that was the pilot audio. So they just reused it. Did they... That was good use. They tinker with it a lot, just use it straight. It's the same recording of Zach Callison's voice, but some of the backgrounds, like they added some chimes and stuff to it. Yeah, it seemed a bit different. It seemed a bit less raw to me, but I don't know if that's just because I'm now watching this incredibly polished Mm. video and the pilot by its very nature. And I don't think this is an unfair accusation. I think they'd all cop to this. The pilot was a lot more raw in nature. Oh, absolutely. I wouldn't be surprised if they had remastered some of the audio, but it was Mm. the same recording. And also Um, they've got to link it up with all the ensuing verses and stuff. Yep. Yeah. I'm not sure of any of the more technical details than that, though, you know, but that it ended up being like noticeably different enough from how he talks now that we definitely hear a younger Steven in that. Mm. So I guess because it's a younger Zach. Yes, exactly. I think he was like 13 when he recorded that to least a very young sounding voice. Um, yeah, well, I gather now that, yes, he now has to do the Stephen voice instead of just him speaking. Yeah, that's what's going on. Well, I um, heard, and I can't remember if I mentioned it before, I heard him in a couple of other things mm-hmm. and he was doing two voices and it was, it was like they were kind of either side of his Stephen voice. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think I remember you telling me that, but I don't remember what it was. Lego superhero movies. Okay. Yeah. But occasionally he'd sort of, for a few words, just basically go into Stephen voice. So it was pretty easy to spot once you'd heard that and you could then hear it in the rest. Yeah. So did you, did you see the food? <laughs> yeah, we had some food, in- including like half a plate, literally. Yeah. So the reason I didn't make that sandwich that she ate in the lion short is that it's literally the same sandwich that she eats in this. It's uh, the same sandwich with a little olive in the top of it but i did make it for this it's like a club sandwich i guess so well, it's a club sandwich because that's less of a thing here some people call them tea sandwiches as well that's but even, they're, even less of a thing so i don't know i've heard them called both and actually when i looked for tea sandwiches because that was my first hit i kept finding club sandwiches and i was like those are the same thing but it's snack size kind of sandwiches, little almost appetizer, but they're sandwiches. And they, the kind that she had was similar to, it's sort of like you would get maybe a tray of them if you were having a card club meeting or something like that. And you wanted to put out little sandwiches. They might be the, what I call toothpick sandwiches that we're always being supplied with on away days and training courses and things. Yeah. Cause this had a toothpick in it and a little olive on the toothpick. And yeah, and this is one of the reasons 
I dread the lunchtime zones because for ages, my workplaces, I guess there must have been some caterer who just did these for everyone. But uh-huh. no matter where I worked, if there was an away day or whatever, it was those accursed toothpick sandwiches. Right. I can't eat them typically because they're usually meat. So Well, they're usually just ingredients. Often they're just ingredients I don't like, or if there are things I do like, they just haven't made them well. So right. I don't like them then. Yeah. Well, the one that I made was bread that I cut into squares because they have to be all geometric and cut the crust off. I did put some mayo on it. Do you not like mayo or do you eat mayo? I like a little of it. Yeah, I put a little bit. I melted a little bit of cheese and spread that on there. And I used tofurkey. I used hickory smoked tofurkey because it kind of looked like... Oh, I like that. Was Yeah, she probably had like roast beef or something. It was something that looked like a lunch meat that was darker. So it was probably roast beef or something, but I just used... The vegetarian version. Yeah. And I put those together and and stacked them with spinach in between. And they were really good. Of course, the little toothpick that you put in there with the olives are the little, the unmissable ingredient to make it look like those sandwiches. So that's really simple to make, but it was fun. It was one of my later finds. And I'm like, oh, I got to make this sandwich and then I'll eat this sandwich. <laughs> So I was very excited. So that's it. What we got left? Anything else to talk about besides uh, run down my factoids and show you merchandise? Well, we just covered food. Music was, as I said, most of the discussion because, well, as I said, it's a song. So yeah, I think factoids and merchandise. I suppose we've brushed on the factoids a bit, but I'm guessing there's more. There's a few. You noted when you saw it that like everybody worked on this. There were four storyboarders on this thing. So it was Hillary and Katie who did all the other five that we watched, as well as Joe Johnston and Jeff Liu. So I'm not sure who did which part, though. It could be that they, Jeff and Joe may have been involved in creating the second sequence. And that was just added on. I really don't know. But that's I'm just guessing. So all four of them were in there. And it was described as, let's see, Stephen starts his life with the crystal gems in this extended version of the opening theme. Yeah, fine. So I already told you and showed you that it debuted at San Diego Comic-Con in 2015. Was there anything else? Let me think. Okay, so I guess it's kind of a little factoidy that they waited until Amethyst was wearing something else to reboot like the second half of that, which we already talked about. So that's a little fun fact. And yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, so I, I can't guess, think of anything else. I guess that moves us into products. Yeah, this is pretty cool. Oh, this is what I have for us. Another lunchbox. And it has ah. the opening kind of faces that they do when they shove their faces in the camera in the new sequence there. And the back is also the ending. Of that oh, sequence. that's nice. Yeah, so it's got a little warp pad on the side. Oh, nice. They're all scenes from this new footage. The other side is the same. And it's a smallish one. It's a small metal lunchbox. So I like this little guy. It's not so giant like us. (laughs) My other lunchbox, I showed that as merch in another one, I think. I can reach. Hopefully not make too loud of a noise. But yeah, it's smaller than standard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember the first one because... I remember being impressed that it wasn't the same usual pictures they use for almost all the merchandise of that era. Yeah. And Garnet's hair is its hugest on that, I think. It really just, it looks so much bigger now when you look at her new model versus her old model too, because her hair was definitely bigger. Definitely more of a place where a Steven bomb can come down and bounce. Yeah, but I've definitely seen where it's jumped in size even oh, yeah. between shots. So. 
Oh, yeah. Well, sometimes she can have a big hair day, right? <laughs> she can shapeshift. She can have as much a little hair as she wants. You are correct. <laughs> I guess we should wrap that, huh? Yeah. Okay. I think, I think we're good. We've seen lunches yeah. and sandwiches and songs and... Finally got food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> food and music. Yeah. Well, that was a good one. All right. Well, thanks to everyone for listening to us talk about the shorts for a long time. <laughs> yeah. En- enjoy. I guess this is our anthology episode. Thanks, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs> You've been listening to Ivy and Daria on Not So Giant Women. You can find episodes of the show in video form by looking up Not So Giant Women on YouTube or in audio form at anchor.fm slash not so giant women or your podcatcher of choice. You can also find us on Facebook. Audio production by Daria. Video production and music by Ivy. Daria can also be heard on Podsploitation, the Osploitation podcast. And Ivy at her Steven Universe fan blog at love-takes-work.tumblr.com. Steven Universe was created by Rebecca Sugar and remains property of Cartoon Network. No infringement is intended.